All right. Hey, everybody, have a seat. All right. Hey, everybody, I'm, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Sarah. Um, I work with, with John and Kelly at Convergence. It's a real pleasure to be with you all tonight. I feel kind of far up. <laughs> Good one. All right. <laughs> Great. Um, will you pray with me? Father God, we come to you tonight, this busy time of year. God, this time that we know is meant to be a preparation for the coming of your Son, but so often becomes about so many other things. We thank you for a moment to come together as, as a community, as the body of Christ, and to hopefully hear a word from you tonight, something to speak to us, and have a whole lot of fun later. For these things, we thank you, and I pray you'd open our hearts and our minds. Um, for whatever you have for us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. All right. Well, first of all, does anybody have a Bible? Yeah? Awesome. Um, Carly, would, would you uh, turn to Jeremiah 33, uh, 14 through 16? And uh, all of you who have Bibles, actually, you can read along. Um, but, but read that out nice and loud for us. 33, 14 through 16? Yes. Oh, goodness. Um. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the gracious promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called. The Lord, our righteousness. Thanks. Amen. All right. So I don't don't know... um, what this is like for you all, but you know how um, if you're single, you never feel more single than when it's Valentine's Day? Like, <laughs> like maybe you don't really mind. It's not something you really think about, um, but Valentine's Day comes along, and uh, you're never more aware that you're the only person that you know who's alone, <laughs> and, uh, and you can feel awful, and, um, you know, what am I missing out on, and uh, when otherwise you would have been fine. Um, and I think Christmas can be like that, too. Uh, I was looking through uh, the Christmas songs that are on my, my playlist right now, and all the words describing Christmas were merry and jolly and joyful and happy. Um, Christmas is supposed to be a time um, spent with those you love most, and, and all, it's supposed to be merry and bright and great, right? Um, Christ's coming is cause for celebration, absolutely, uh, but we often forget that that, that coming happens on Christmas, um, with the coming of the baby. But before that is Advent. And Advent is actually supposed to be a time of, of waiting, of anticipation, and of darkness often. Um, we forget that before Jesus was born, um, Mary, who was nine months pregnant, had to ride a donkey all the way to Jerusalem, <laughs> um, show up and not have a place to go, go into labor, probably away from her family, and, uh, and, and have a baby uh, without those closest to her, not knowing what was going to happen. Um, a time of incredible darkness, followed by joy, yes. Um, so we're going to have a lot of fun tonight, um, and, and that's okay. Uh, I don't have many friends who are really strict and only start the Christmas parties once Christmas actually comes. Um, but I do want to talk tonight uh, about the fact that life doesn't always cooperate with, with the season, um, and if this is a dark time in your life, um, and you're like me, I, I know I never feel it more keenly than at Christmas time. 
the cheerful music and the lights and the expectation that we be happy can make us feel even worse if we're feeling badly. And the culture of Christmas really doesn't leave any room for us to grieve. And some of us have a lot to grieve. Um, That's why this text from Jeremiah is so fitting for us in the season of Advent, because hope in darkness is really what Advent is about. It's not cheery. It's not cute. It isn't even about celebration. The celebration comes when Jesus does. But until that child is born, until the promise is fulfilled, we're left sometimes in agonizing anticipation for things to turn around, for the promise to be fulfilled, for our tears to be wiped away, and for things to get better. Advent teaches us to wait and hope when things are at their very worst, when everything points to the contrary. And that's what's happening for Israel in Jeremiah. We just got a snippet of what's happening in Jeremiah 33. Um, for those of you who were with us uh, a while back when we were talking about Nehemiah. Nehemiah was rebuilding um, Jerusalem after the exile. Well, Jeremiah was was there um, and, and talking about and preaching into the fact that the exile was coming, an incredibly dark, dark time for Israel. Um, the wars had been just totally subsuming the area and Israel for years. They had lost their beloved King Josiah, who had um, initiated reforms and was helping the people turn back to the Lord, keeping the covenant. Um, So there was a real time of hope there. And then war came in. It, it, It really plucked the hope from them. And it finally ended when Babylon came in and totally destroyed Jerusalem, sacked the temple, the holy temple that Solomon built, the most sacred site for Jerusalem or for, for Israel and then carried many, many, many of them off into exile. Um, nothing worse could have happened to Israel. This is their darkest hour, their darkest time. So here we have Israel, God's chosen people, the, the promise, the ones to whom God has said, I will bless you. You'll be a blessing to the nations. All is going to be well with you. If you keep my covenant, um, people are going to look at you. And because you're blessed and because of your love and your joy and your prosperity, people are going to see me. So the fact that Israel is living in desolation, in exile, they're being killed, their leaders are being executed, they're being carried off with nothing, it looks like God is failing them. God has promised Israel everything, and yet it appears that they are forsaken. And Jeremiah tells us throughout his book that the nations are mocking them. Other people are looking at them and saying, where is your God? Clearly you were fooled, because... We don't see anything hopeful in you. Yet it's in that moment of darkness that Jeremiah came to them with a message of hope. The text is traditionally applied in Advent as a promise to the coming Messiah, to Jesus. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill my promise to the house of Israel. In the text he was talking about, um, both both in the present, right, the, the the people coming back from exile, which did happen, um, but also the promise that one day a ruler was going to come who was going to make it all right, who was going to bring righteousness and justice to the people. But the promise took a really long time to be fulfilled. And it beckons us to consider where we find hope when we are in the darkness. All of us face times in our lives where we feel like God has abandoned us or doesn't care. And sometimes things are going badly for us because we've made poor decisions. Um, You know, that's true. Um, That was the case for Israel. Many of them had turned away from God and were facing the consequences of that. Jeremiah's ministry, in large part, warned and urged them to repent, to honor God's covenant, so that things would go well for them, 
right? And a lot of that makes sense. Like, you speed a lot, you're probably going to get a speeding ticket. Um, jump off tall things, you're probably going to get hurt. Um, but not that I do that. Um, but mo- most of the time, you know, it's it's not like that. Um, life is just hard. Uh, we suffer a lot of time because of the things, things are totally out of our control, um, whether it's someone that we love very much dying or getting sick, um, our relationship that was very dear to us ending, uh, losing our jobs or being in financial hardship or experiencing brokenness in our families. I, I talked to so many of you um, who, you know, heading home for Christmas, it's, it's a time when you're supposed to enjoy being with your family, but the reality is there's a lot of stress and brokenness there. Um, some, some of you are dreading going home. Our families are supposed to be places where we feel safe and loved, but that's not always the case. So how do we find hope when our hearts are broken and when we don't see any reason to hope? The text promises us that God is faithful to us and with us, no matter how dark the situation, no matter how messed up or out of our control, even when we've been faithful or faithless, sometimes we don't want help, right? Sometimes we're... We're in a place where we're so angry and frustrated, we, we just don't even want anything to do with God. Jeremiah tells us that even if we are faithless, God will be faithful. God will be faithful. Those words can ring really hollow to one in deep grief. I don't know if you've experienced that. I know I have. Um, you know, like, like Job's friends, um, when... When Job uh, had lost everything, his family, his land, his, his health, uh, and his, his friends just sort of told him to buck up. Um, that's not very helpful, <laughs> you know. And uh, nor is it helpful um, to someone in incredible grief uh, to just say that, well, just trust in God. Things are going to turn around. God has promised us that it will. Don't you feel better now? <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe that works for you. It doesn't for me. Um, and really, that's why Jesus had to come. Um, you know, throughout the Old Testament, we see God revealing God's self to the people, giving them the law. The law's a good thing, right? Follow the law. Things are going to go better than if you didn't. Um, but they kept messing it up. Israel could never get it right. They were missing the love of God. And I think that's a huge part of why Jesus had to come. To show us what love looked like, because love has to be incarnational. It doesn't matter if it's just speech. That will only get us so far. If love is not embodied, if we are not able to show each other love in action, it's really just lip service. And that's why Jesus came. So the text promises us that God is going to be faithful to us. But in the dark night of the soul, as it's sometimes called, that doesn't always feel like it means very much. And it can ask. It, it can take a lot of, a lot of courage for us um, to ask God why. To be honest in that situation, right? Why don't you just do something, God? If you care about me so much, if you really loved me, if you really wanted to comfort me, would it be so much skin off your nose to just heal my mother's cancer, um, to help my dad stop being such a jerk or drinking, to change my errant spouse's heart, to get me a job, uh, to have prevented that, that car accident I was in or that friend who committed suicide? Would it have taken so much for you to do that? And what good are you if you don't? What's your point? Sometimes they're not any good answers. 
for the questions we have. There's no quick fix. There's no instant road to joy. And I bet some of the Israelites felt like that when Jeremiah was talking to them. Thanks a lot, Jeremiah, reminding us that God is faithful to us, but it really doesn't feel or look like it, so I wish God would just do something. It really rarely gets acknowledged in the church that there are moments when we cannot see hope for anything, when all we see is darkness and grief. But anyone who thinks that being a shiny, happy Christian all the time is what faith is about has never read the Psalms or really much of the Old Testament. I don't know if you knew, but there are eight psalms, sorry, seven, seven psalms, seven whole psalms in which there is not a single word of hope, not a single one. Uh, There's an excerpt from Psalm 88 I'll share with you. The writer says, My soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near the grave. I have no help, and I am adrift among the dead, like one already lying in the grave who you remember no more and who you cut off from your hand. The psalm begins in desolation and ends in desolation. But this is not sacrilegious. This is biblical. And it's part of being human. These psalms were written when Israel was in exile. They came out of Jeremiah's time. Um, Israel in mourning for those who they had lost, for what they were going through, for, for God's failure to them, seemingly. And for those of us who feel that we are in exile, the Psalms become for us an incredible model for prayer. Sometimes we can't find hope on our own. And I think we need to start by being honest. We need to be able to express our grief and our anger if we're ever going to be able to move forward and have hope for joy to bloom again. It's important to know that God can take our anger. I've sat down with people and they've been shocked for me to tell them it's okay you're angry it's okay it's okay to be angry at god that that person died it's okay to be angry that your life really sucks right now it's okay you know jesus got angry too when he saw injustice and jesus suffered jesus didn't get everything he wanted as a human Right, the human part of him, he he knelt before God in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he was crucified and said, let this cup pass from me. He suffered. Some of us can bear some suffering cheerfully with great courage and faith, and and that's fantastic. I'm not always one of those people, and some of you are not. And the good news for us is that because... Because of what Israel went through, we have a model. We know that God is with us in our suffering and can handle whatever we throw at him. But we've got to move past our anger. We've got to turn it into something redemptive by facing it. If we don't face our anger, it will fester and we'll stay stuck in it. But it's a really scary thing to ask God why. It can be absolutely terrifying to face our anger and loss. But allowing it to come out is the only way that joy can come in. In the same way that in order for a baby to be born, there has to be pain, right? An incredible struggle. Um, So our joy can only be birthed by entering into our brokenness and allowing it to heal. It's a very, very painful process, just like childbirth. But there's incredible joy at the end. Incredible joy when that baby is born. 
These things are much easier to say than they are to do. Um, Sometimes we're convinced that the dark times in our lives will never end. And sometimes even when they do, we don't see the redemption in them. They just seem like gratuitous suffering. And I felt that way. Sometimes there aren't answers. Um, We don't see any purpose. And that can be really maddening. I don't know why some people recover seemingly miraculously from illnesses and others die. Um, There are just some things that we won't know on this side of heaven. But the truth is um, that there are many things in life that are outside our control. And we can work for justice, for kindness. We can pray with both our hearts and our hands. And sometimes evil still wins. Or it seems to win. And that's why we need a Savior. That is why Christ came, to fix what we can't. God has pledged to work a newness precisely where there is absolutely no evidence that any hope exists. In the face of Israel's death, God has promised to work new life. So we move towards hope by being honest, being honest with ourselves and with God, but also by turning to our community for help. When we can't see Jesus, our community can become Jesus to us. We look to the physical body of Christ. We need to bear one another's burdens. 1 Corinthians 12 says, when one member of the body suffers, all suffer. If one of us is suffering, the others must feel that, must bear that burden. We have to bear with those who grieve. But a lot of us don't know how to do that very well. We're pretty bad at it. We don't live in a culture that honors grief. I think a lot of us grew up like my grandmother when I was little. I remember her just saying, don't cry, don't cry. You know, it's not that bad. Just suck it up and move on with it. You'll be fine. We're expected to be like machines, to not be affected, to just move on with our lives uh, as if it didn't matter. And we just bury our broken hearts and let them heal over, all broken, untouchable. And that's not healthy. (laughs) And it doesn't work. Israel survived by doing the messy, terrifying work of being real with God. And I suspect real with each other of letting others into their mess and walking by walking with us through our pain, others are able to call out hope that we can't see for us. That's why we're going to be starting community groups um, at, at Convergence um, so that, like Christ coming to us, we can show Christ's love to one another so that we can enact that love, not just teach it, um, but be Christ's love to one another. We're excited about the ministry, as John said, and we we hope you'll take part in it. It's going to be an opportunity for us to open ourselves and expose that mess to others and allow others the opportunity to say, despite that mess, you are still beloved. You are still beloved. And there's hope for you, even though you have no reason to think so. There are some areas... um, have been some areas in my life where I've had some trouble holding on to hope too. And I had a friend who wrote me a letter that I wanted to share with you to close. They write, I've come to appreciate hope in a different sense than the traditional, I see light at the end of the tunnel. I think hope arises when we know that one, 
God is listening to and fighting for us. And two, when we know that because of God's people um, that are here for us in times when we need God most, we find hope in action, in sacrifice, in commitment to walk through the journey and valleys with our friends. Jeremiah, he was instructed by God to tell the people that God hadn't forgotten about them, that God will restore his people and his nation. His commitment to them is so strong that unless you break the very laws of nature, Jeremiah says, unless you can move the sun and the stars, God is not going to let his people down in the end. But there's always these where are you God moments. Maybe you're going through a time when you feel like your prayers are falling on closed ears. Maybe you wonder where God is and if God is real. I don't know what your struggle is, but I do know of a loving father who hears the cries of his children. Our fears and doubts have a way of making God disappear in our lives. But it's moments like this that I believe God is wanting us to seek him most. I think God has a way of flexing his muscles when we desperately need him. Since God's love for us will never change, And because God will love us no matter what, I guess it's our job to persevere. We're not called to persevere alone, but to carry each other's load. We're the body of Christ, right? These words may be trite, but sacrificial actions and love for people around us gives us and our friends hope. Because it is from the darkness that the light shines.